Welcome to Tea Time with Noah and Kathleen. Part 1, Introduction. So for this project, we decided to focus on technology and how that technology affects voting and other elections um, in our democracy. I don't think that anyone, you know, with an internet connection <laughs> has struggled to see um, just the various controversies that have gone on in 2016, 2020, even 2018 in the midterms, um, talking about how um, elections are being influenced through all different means of technology. And so we really wanted to dive into how technology is affecting voters in America today. So our main question was we we're looking at the pros and cons to increase technology in relation to voting. So we wanted to look at ways that technology is preventing fraudulent voting or increasing it, um, ways that it could help or hurt voter equity, which is a big issue right now, and looking at the feasibility of universal voting. And then finally, we wanted to look at the effect of social media on people voting, voter turnout, registration, and the different demographics that we've seen voting in this most recent election. So I have focused more on how different technologies can impede um, democracy in America, and Kathleen has decided to focus more on how technology could help democracy and further it, make it a little bit more equ equitable for everyone. Um, but Kathleen, what personal experiences have you had these over the past few years as you've become a teenager and like gotten more aware of the news with like technology and voting and like the general consensus of the public or even your general consensus of how technology interferes with voting? Um, I feel like growing up, like my parents always voted and I always thought about it, but um, I wasn't eligible to vote in the 2016 election, but I was in the 2020 election and it felt like the 2020 election more than ever was the year that you had to vote in. Um, it was more important, like, everybody was asking, are you registered to vote? Have you voted? But still, we saw, like, something like 100 million Americans didn't vote. So, you know, I was really interested in looking at, like, why that is. Like, what are the things that are holding people back from voting, from registering to vote? Like, is it an access issue? Is it a technology issue? Like, do people not trust the government? Mm -hmm. So we just sort of wanted to look at, you know, where people are coming from and the impact that technology had on this. Right. And so I, I agree with that a lot. And given the pa the recent events of our um, government with just the insurrection of the Capitol and um, the whole like nightmare of the 2020 election with mail-in voting and the pandemic, and it was just a big mess. And so I think a lot of the general public just doesn't trust technology companies in general, like Facebook, Instagram, oh, yeah. Twitter. I mean, Donald Trump's Twitter account is a perfect example. Exactly, exactly. And so... Um, I think it would be really cool to be able to dive in and get into some more specific uh, research topics of how technology is specifically affecting voters and how, you know, using technology while actually voting opens us up to a lot of, you know, shortfalls yeah. and, and possible attack places that, for foreign countries, domestic people, the whole nine yards. And I feel like, you know, if you look at if you, you know, look on Twitter, you look on Facebook, whatever, you look at the news, like, the side that you're seeing is the really polarized, like, we cannot trust technology in relation to voting. So I kind of also just wanted to see, like, what kind of truth there was to that, because I feel like, obviously, you know, there's two sides to everything, and right now, our news is so, so polarized that you're either getting far left or far right. So I think it'll be really interesting to look and see, because I feel like the people who are pro- using technology for voting, they're not as outspoken as the ones who are against it. So, you know, it's interesting to see what kind of information there is that would support that side. 
Part two, the most significant points of our research process. So given how widespread and how talked about, I guess, this issue has been for the United States, for me, it was really easy to be able to find sources um, that talked about technology and voting. A lot of my sources came from uh, MIT, Stanford, other institutional um, centers with um, big poli-sci departments. But also, the majority of mine came from, like, regular newspaper articles, like the Washington Post, um, NPR, public radio, stuff like that. I think just the public has a really big fascination with this right now, and so news companies that are reputable are capitalizing on that and really writing a lot, a lot about it. I feel like I had sort of the same experience. It's not hard to find anything. A quick Google search will give you a thousand results. Um, I did somewhat have a problem with some of the like local news where I would read an article and then I would get to the bottom mm -hmm. and it would it, there would be a lot of corrections and things like that. And What do you mean? Like, there were a couple where it was they were talking about um, states that didn't allow for online voting and then it would correct and say, for example, like North Dakota, like there was an article slamming North Dakota for not doing online voter registration, but then the correction said, well, North Dakota actually doesn't require you to register to vote. <laughs> so the whole article wasn't, you know, particularly helpful. Right. Once I read that little retraction, I'm honestly surprised that they kept the article right. up after that. But Whatever gets clicks, right? Exactly. But So yeah. I was a little bit more wary of the local news after that one. Um, I looked a lot, like you said, you know, University departments, Stanford, MIT also. Um, the ACLU had a lot when I was looking, you know, at the voter equity stuff. States um, that do and do not require or allow online voting, um, voter turnout percentages, you know, racial disparities, things like that. The ACLU was pretty helpful with that. Um, a lot of research that I found was actually international research. Um, mm -hmm. The United Kingdom, a couple um, studies looked at Russian elections, which, you know, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure how much you can trust those. They did say in there that, you know, Russia is an undemocratic, it was an undemocratic election, so, but they did, but they said, nonetheless, they said they felt like the technology helped, so it was, an, I mean, it was an interesting read, it was a journal article, it was yeah. peer-reviewed, so, you know, take that for what it's worth, but it was interesting to see, like, other countries also have an interest in this, and I would honestly argue almost more of an interest in looking into the legitimately getting into the security of the technology. Right. You know, a lot of us Americans, I feel like we really just talk about should we or shouldn't we, but yeah. not much science behind it. One thing that I thought was cool was I fully expected the newspaper articles especially to be heavily polarized one way or another on this yeah. issue. Um, but to me, I found that most newspaper articles were in agreement of, or at least did not bring so much polarization to it. Did you really? feel the same? Was it like local news or you're no, saying like, like Washington Post, Wall Street Journal yeah. type deals? Yeah. yeah. I did see that, you know, Wall yeah. Street Journal and Washington Post, I feel like are pretty reputable. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they sway one way or the other, but normally pretty center. I, yeah, I found more polarizing things, but I think that's because people who are especially pro online voting tend to take like a more liberal stance. So like less people have strong opinions on that. So yeah. I feel like when I was seeing things, it was from the people who have really strong opinions. Yes, yeah, that's true. So. And so one thing that I was thinking about while we were doing this is how can we trust these websites? If we're saying that we can't trust technology and voting, <laughs> how can we trust Perfect. the websites that are 
writing about it, you know? It's all under one umbrella. And you can pay anybody to write anything, you know? Right. And publish it. Exactly. So I really had to dig into, like, the authors behind each one and make making sure that, um, you know, that they either had some kind of political science background, they had their PhD in it from a respectable university, something like that. And I was able to find those, but yeah, that thought crossed my mind a couple of times. Of like, <laughs> how can I trust this? Yeah, a couple of times definitely for some of like the data points I was looking up, I would see it on one website and I would check it on another one because yeah. you, you really never know. Especially I think because some of it is changing so fast. Like we are seeing more states allow people to register online. Mm-hmm. Like we are seeing higher voter turnouts and demographics are shifting. So some of it I feel like it's just a product of things are moving fast. Yeah. But That's very I true. do feel like it, it was hard to make sure... You know, everything was legit. Right. Part three, a discussion of our research results. To fully encapsulate this entire, you know, debate, and let us start by saying, again, I am on the side of technology should not be used further in voting techniques, and you are on the side that technology can help voting techniques, right? Because it's the future of our voting democracy. Well, that's a debate. We'll debate that. All right. Um... I think to really start us off, we need to go back to 2000 in the presidential election that took place in Florida. So as many people know, in Florida, the whole hanging Chad debacle happened when um, President Bush um, was running against Al Gore. And so essentially what happened was in the ballots, there were um, when voters went and punched their cards, the punch did not come off all the way. And so... They were called hanging chads, and it led to a Supreme Court battle. It led to a massive recount that took, you know, a long time and really could have decided the entire election. I mean, they all but declared that Gore won. Yes. People celebrated, and here we are. And then Florida was like, oops. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But all of that to say, that's when the whole debate around technology and voting really took off. And so... um, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, they have comprised a list of a comprehensive list of basically every single type of voting technique known to man, from paper ballots that were used in the 1900s all the way up to DRE machines that were used now and now are being phased back out. And so I think what we should really do is start there and discuss the different ways that technology has been used in the past. And so after the whole hanging Chad debacle, occurred, um, DRE machines were used, and that is called direct recording electronic machines. Those are essentially computers that store your vote on an internal local hard drive that can then be counted later. I mean, I think that, I mean, you know, the hanging Chad, before, you know, you're moving right into the DREs, but I feel like that is the prime example, a great example of why we needed to move away from paper ballots. I mean, I understand that you're saying, you know, there's a progression, it was 20 years ago, but I mean... That's what set this off, right? Paper ballots, that was the problem. So, I mean, I think right there, I know you're thinking it's part of, you know, your side, but I think that's a really big point as to why technology is helpful for us. I think that the issue with the hanging chats was not that it was too old or didn't have the technology. The technology they were using was not correct. The technology used to fully punch those ballots... The machine used to make the punch holes was not working correctly. And so does that mean that we just completely scratch it and we move on to, you know, completely computerized? I mean, I think that completely computerized eliminates 
you know, the paper issue in the first place. Like, the machines wouldn't have had this problem had the paper not had this issue. Right. But can a businessman in Russia come punch the paper for us? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, elaborate there. I think that when we start moving to computerized voting techniques, especially those used over the internet, which, is that what you're arguing for in this case? I mean, obviously, it's more security than an email survey that you're going to get. I'm not saying it's like a trivia question of the day where you just click A, B, C, or D, but I think that we use technology for so many other things in our lives. You bank online. Your whole bank account is online. Your social security number, you have to put it in to file your taxes. You file your taxes online. Like, what's to say that the foundation of our democracy cannot be done online when so much else is? Right. So what you're talking about right there is um, could be easily, easily attacked using a classic phishing um, cyber attack. And so the um, CSO magazine in the United States, it's a leading magazine for um, computer science security experts. They did a comprehensive review of what phishing is. And so they actually included famous and important government officials that have been targeted with these phishing attacks. So essentially what a phishing attack is, is they send you an email that looks like a legit email and they get you to reveal a password or username that they can lock in and then take money from you. This has literally happened to my mother before. Someone sends her an email saying that they are her bank and that they need her login to fix something. She sends it to them because she doesn't know any better and then all of a sudden they're spending $500 at a Sphinx in Miami, Florida and we live in South (laughs) Carolina, you know? And so this has even happened to the chairman of Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016. Oh, Lord. He got attacked and revealed his Gmail password to a bunch of hackers online. And so if Hillary Clinton's campaign chair, his name is John Podessa, if he, who is an incredibly smart man, could fall for a phishing attack, who's to say that Jane Doe down the street who's trying to vote, couldn't fall to the same thing by a Russian attacker or any democracy, okay, any well, nationality. It doesn't have to be Russia. Basically, your argument is that some people are stupid. That's basically what you're saying right there. And I totally agree. I mean, phishing um, skin, or schemes, whatever, are a thing. My grandma got conned two, three times, I think. But, I mean, I think that, like, people make those kind of mistakes anywhere. I mean, paper ballots, like, there were millions of ballots that were thrown away because people accidentally marked two candidates. So stupid mistakes like that, things like that, people are going to have, whether it's paper ballots, whether it's, you know, computerized ballots. I think it really is just a matter of, like, weighing the pros and the cons. I mean, phishing is definitely a thing. I'm not disagreeing, and I definitely think that additional security measures would need to be taken. But I do think that there's a way to do it safely and securely. Yeah, and I'm I'm not arguing against the stupidity aspect of it. (laughs) However, all of that being said, the same website, CSO Online, they found um, that they they really wanted to focus on how online voting was so insecure. Why are governments trying to use it? So Estonia actually has done all of their elections online. They have, in every single election, they have had some kind of attack in Estonia. I'm not trying to say that Estonia is insignificant, but compare Estonia to the United States. Think about how many more attacks the United States would have on its election infrastructure online if we were to move in that direction. There are, I agree, many, many more people who, you know, it matters to them who wins the United States election. So, I mean, they will try to have a hand in it. They will try to meddle as much as they can. 
But I think that that's going to happen regardless. I mean, I don't necessarily think that... I think it's honestly... It's a little bit naive to say that the, you know, people hacking, people coming at you only will happen with the computer. Like, let's not pretend that that started when we started using computerized machines. That hacking didn't start when computerized machines happened? People interfering with the election. Oh, okay. Hacking specifically, yes, because it has to do with computers. But I'm saying election interference, people have been trying to interfere since the foundation of our democracy. I agree with that. So. I just think that it's important that we try and prevent that as much as possible. And I think that staying away from internet voting is a great way to prevent a lot of people from across the world having easy access to our election infrastructure. Let me give you some examples. Um, This company decided... CSO Online, they ran a study, and they surveyed 50,000 fake login pages. 22% of those were PayPal, 19% were Microsoft, 15% Facebook, 6% eBay, 3% Amazon. Those are just the top companies. PayPal, banking, Microsoft is a world-renowned, respected workplace business. Yeah, they set the standard. Yes, I agree thank there. you. I do. And if not 20% of the 50,000 login pages were Microsoft, think of, <laughs> I mean, let's even let's even take into account the fact that, you know, um, when Obamacare came out and people were trying to register online, the nightmare that that website was, I don't think that our our government has the resources or the manpower to be able to host a website that could have that many that much traffic in it in one day when our own healthcare website can't even do it. I mean, no, I definitely agree. I don't think that there is one perfect system, and I definitely think that there are potential problems everywhere. But I mean, the same argument can be made, for example, in this last election, you know, because of COVID, so many more people did absentee ballot, did mail in ballots because, you know, they didn't want to risk being exposed to the coronavirus, which I completely agree with. But what a lot of people found is that there were, people were getting, um, like, for example, a girl that I went to high school with, she got her mail-in ballot to her address at UNC Chapel Hill, and then her mom got a mail-in ballot for her in Charlotte. Okay. And, you know, her roommate had the same issue, and I think it was something like 30,000 sets of double ballots were found just in North Carolina. So... Right there, I mean, that's a potential... North Carolina is a swing state. That is the potential to swing the election in that state. And that has nothing to do with these machines. Like, it's not the Russians hacking. No, I completely agree with that. That is a cause for concern. But I know for a fact that it uses signature matching software to be able to confirm that your absentee ballot is actually your absentee ballot and that it's not counted twice. And so... Is that technology? I'm, I'm getting there. Don't so you worry about it. So you're telling me that it. the technology works. It verifies. I'm saying that um, MIT actually released an article in their technology review magazine that talked about how technology can help an election, but it's not internet voting technology. For example, I think tracking mail-in ballots using that technology is awesome. I think people should be able to know where their ballot is. I think that you know, electronic poll books or being able to manage your um, election registration software online at the polls would be awesome for speeding up lines and making sure that people aren't waiting six hours out in the cold to be able to vote. Um, And even reporting results. I think that, you know, being able to send voting results from precincts to counties and then to national organizations to get it to the people, 
that is great, and that's what we need um, to be able to be well-informed citizens. But what I am saying is that all of those things have nothing to do with the direct vote itself, right? Right. I think the, the thing that needs to be protected the most is the physical act of voting. What happens before and after that, that's up for debate. But, and I don't think that technology is harming those in any way. But the actual act of voting and checking the box needs to be as simple and as plain as possible to reduce uh, interference or just people not knowing what they're doing, honestly. So I guess I want to ask you a question related to that, but shifting a little bit then is, you know, you talk about wanting to make the ballot as simple and as plain as possible. So like what consideration do you give to the fact that online voting would make it a lot easier for a lot more people to vote? Like where do you stand there? Because, I mean, the simple fact of it is that people, a lot of people don't want to stand in the lines or don't have the time to spend six, seven hours working, especially those who work, you know, blue collar jobs where you cannot just take the day off if you have a shift, you know, at a fast food restaurant. Like you just don't have the ability to take the day off. So, you know, one of my points is that I think, you know, a big benefit of online voting would be the simplicity of it, the ease of it, and the speed in the sense that I think a lot more people would be motivated to vote if it was made easier for them. Oh, I completely agree with that. I think that's I think that's a very good point. And I have two counterpoints to that. Um, first, we have absentee ballots. Like, I wasn't at home to vote. I didn't have to stand in a single line. Correct. But I voted, and it took me five less than five minutes because I had to walk to my mailbox, sign a piece of paper, and walk back to my mailbox, essentially. Right. And I think, you know, yes, people have jobs, and yes, people have to work, well, they should request an absentee ballot so that they don't have to take time off of their job, right? Right. Um, so that's my first point. I think that there's already systems in place to prevent that. Second point. Okay, well, you know what? I'm going to jump in right there on the absentee ballots. <laughs> I totally agree. I think absentee ballot voting is great. I did it. A lot of, you know, roommates, friends did it. It's great for people in college, things like that. But there are complications surrounding that. Like, for example, take California. You have to register and you have to get your ballot 15 days before the election. If you don't make that, you cannot use an absentee ballot. Which, I mean, I'm not arguing that I think, I don't think it's necessarily feasible to have you be able to fill an absentee ballot up until the day of the election. But I think that, you know, for people who don't necessarily plan that much in advance, that's another hindrance for them. Like, if you don't make that deadline, then your options are either go stand in the line on polling day or you don't vote. Yeah. That's, that is a sad reality of the situation, I think. And my second point that I want to circle back to really quick, um, you know, we, ha- we live on our smartphones. We live on them. We do. And it is to the point now that people don't even think about what they're doing on their smartphone. I ordered Jimmy John's today. I did not even have to put together two brain cells to be able to order those Jimmy John's. Like, it was just... Right. So so easy for me. And so is that what we want our voting to be? Do we want our, you know, picking the person who is going to lead our country for the next four years, do we want that to be as simple and as easy and as quick as ordering a Jimmy John sandwich on a random Tuesday afternoon? Like, Yes, we do. Where's the thought behind that? Where's the, where's the ponderance of uh, qualities of a, of a... We are so inundated by the media 24-7. I mean, whether you like it or not, you are learning about the candidates that you are going to be voting for. I mean, um, like Donald Trump's already threatening to run in 2024. He's already preparing his campaign. 
campaign, excuse me, I am already hearing about him. So I totally agree that like maybe in the moment right there, like you make your decision, but your decision is based on what you've been hearing. Yeah. And to be honest, like it's not to say that anyone has done any more research clicking on their phones than they do when they go get in line. That's true. To poll. I mean. Yeah, that's very true. I just, to me, say someone's scrolling through Facebook, they see something that ticks them off, they immediately go on their phone and they vote. Like, there's no, what is that source incredible on Facebook? Right. It's just a gut reaction and the act of getting in your car or requesting an absentee ballot, but getting in your car, driving to a polling station, standing in line for a few minutes, and then actually going and like clicking the button, I think that just allows people time to be able to be conscious of the decision that they're making and how important this decision is. I agree. No, I mean, ideally, people put a lot of thought, a lot of research, they look into both sides, you know, before yep. they pick a candidate. Realistically, that, doesn't that is not what happens. Exactly. And I and I think, I, I hear you that, you know, the act of clicking this fast, like, it might be, you know, an instinctual thing or a heat-of-the-moment thing. But at the same time, like, when you start seeing that information, like, once you start, you know, looking at this, like... A lot of that is just you looking, it's a confirmation bias. Like, you're looking for sources that support what you believe in. So, Mm -hmm. realistically, not that many people who have a strong enough opinion that will cause them to vote immediately are going to change. So, whether they vote in that moment or when they've had time to think about it, their vote is going to be for the same person. One last thing I'll say about this and then we'll be done. But I just, I want the most well-informed people in America to be voting. Ideally, I would want every single person in America to vote and to be well-informed in their vote. However, I think that internet voting is would be detrimental given the fact of the amount of uninformed people that would be voting. And nonetheless, how do you secure an internet election? How do you say that, like, do you use biometrics, like your fingerprint scanner, or your phone face scanner? Like, how do you secure an internet election and like proving that the person typing in that login is you because at a voting poll, right? Right. You go, you show them your ID in most states. <laughs> Not all. <laughs> show the, hope, maybe show them an ID. They confirm the picture to you, right? And then you can do a signature match based on your ID. Right. How do you confirm that in an internet election? I mean, I think we have such advanced technology already. I mean, Apple employees, they've got my face ID. They've got my fingerprint. Twins have they been use known to all those. Twins have tricked the face ID system in Apple. Been confirmed. <laughs> how many identical twins do you know that care enough to do that? I mean, I can look up how many identical twins there are in the United States. You, but You can go do that right now. Why don't you? All right. I think I we think, should move on to the I next one. I <laughs> think my last point is that even if... I hear you that we want the most informed people voting... But at the same time, we want a representative election. Like, I mean, unfortunately, the reality of the world is that a lot of people are uninformed and they are going to vote. But they are who our elected officials are working for. Mm -hmm. So if that is what they want, even though as much as you or I would hope that they would do a little bit more research, our leader of, you know, the free world should be who... You know, we all want. And if that is uninformed people, if that's choosing someone you wouldn't personally agree with, Mm -hmm. that's unfortunate, but I think that's just how it should be. Yeah. One last topic that I think we should talk about is, you know, we've talked a lot about technology in the sense that the actual technology used to count the votes for that people vote on. I want to talk a little bit about social media. Mm. 
and the effects that social media has on <laughs> you're already laughing it's it's become a pretty you know social media i think is probably i would argue in young people was be one of the number one factors for voting oh i don't even think it's just young people think about the middle-aged the elderly people that sit on facebook all oh, day long Facebook. you're right yeah i mean i think i think social media it has a lot of drawbacks but i think in in this specific instance, I think that social media was incredibly helpful in advance of the 2020 election. Helpful? Helpful. Oh. I do. That's what I think. All right, explain it. All right. So, you know, we have already seen younger people, like historically, are less likely to vote than older people are, which is fair. It's just a demographic thing that we see. But I think like this year... Um, I think it was NBC News was saying, like, we had a record turnout for 18 to 34-year-olds voting. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that was due to social media. This election became so polarizing. It was more controversial than any election that we've seen in a long time, certainly any one that I've seen in my lifetime, that so many people were posting on social media about yeah. it. I mean, we had celebrities. We had other mm -hmm. political figures. I mean, we had people coming out of the woodworks to talk about this election. Absolutely. And I think that... A lot of celebrities, you know, for example, I read, you know, Sophia Bush was a big, big activist before this election. And, you know, and she posted almost every day about the voter registration deadlines in different states. And she was, you know, shouting out people who registered to vote for the first time. And while I think that, you know, getting a shout out from Sophia Bush should not be the reason that you registered to vote. <laughs> she was really successful. She she has the ability to reach a younger generation right. in a way Absolutely. that old people telling us to register to vote just it doesn't cut it. Yeah. Yeah, no arguments there. I think but I I want to circle back to a point that you made about how polarizing this election was. I think that social media had 90% of, was 90% of the reason that this election was so polarizing. You cannot say that the, that the algorithms that various social media softwares use, what they do is they try and show you more content that you'll like. So right. if you express a, a right-wing view, this is just going to keep showing you more right-wing, right-wing, right-wing until you are far right, right? Right, once again. Well, I mean, and that's because I will acknowledge, I mean, Facebook wants you to keep scrolling. They want you to see the most ads. They mm -hmm. want you to stay on for as long as possible. Exactly. So, yes, they are going to target your content to what they think you like, what they yeah. think you want to hear. Yeah. And so what do you think about recent political figures, most notably President Trump, who have utilized social media to really just make his – to polarize his fan base even further into his own – yeah, I'm. I am not arguing that. I mean, in my opinion, that was incredibly inappropriate. I mean, the president of the United States should be acting in a presidential manner. I don't know who, <laughs> who did not take his Twitter account the first day that he was sworn into office. Like, why did he still have access to that? But I mean, I think that while it was entirely unprofessional, I think that for things like that, the people who would already listen to his content and would hear it, they are. They have their minds made up. Just like you said, like it's it's very polarized. I, I don't necessarily think that anyone was swayed one way or the other that was on the fence. I think that people who supported Donald Trump supported him before and after yeah. the Twitter account. I don't think anybody who was a Trump supporter saw his Twitter account and said, you know what, not anymore, because that's what he stands for. Yeah, no, I get that. and But I think 
and I want to bring it back full circle here, and talking about exposing our election system to possible attacks. I found this great quote on um, CSO Online, and they said, The purpose of an election is not to select a winner, but it is to convince the loser and their supporters that they actually lost. So we saw President Trump use every excuse in the book to say that the election was rigged, there was foreign interference, mail-in ballots were counted correctly, etc., 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 right? And to me, the whole issue here is that we have a system right now that does have holes in it. Every system's going to have holes in it, and the loser is going to try and poke in every single one of those holes to try and see if he can get a different outcome, right? I'm wary of increasing the amount of holes in our election system by maybe moving to online voting or using internet um, databases to be able to hold or transmit voting records because that is just another way that another president in the future is going to be able to point at that and say, the Russians attacked me, the Chinese attacked it, it's not a fair election. My supporters, we need to go storm the Capitol. We need to prevent this vote from being affirmed. And then all of a sudden, we are at a crisis of our democracy. Like, social media fully capitalized on the fact that we already use some limited technologies in our voting system right now, and they're poking holes in that solely to change the outcome of an election. So why would we introduce more holes, is my question to you. But I don't think... You know, the insurrection was just about not getting your way. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, they didn't get the result they wanted. Whatever. I don't think that anyone's opinions on technology necessarily changed. And I think that, honestly, if anything, what the insurrection shows us is that we need to be working harder to convince the American people of the security of our voting system. Is that possible? I think something we should work towards. I don't think it's anything we should just give up on. 77% of Donald Trump supporters who voted for him believed that the election was rigged and attacked technologically. 77% of Republicans who voted for Donald Trump believed that their election was rigged in terms of technology. So how do we convince those 77% of people who still to this day believe that President Trump should be in office and President Biden should not be? How do we convince those people that our election system is sound with the technology that we currently have without introducing more technology for them to be wary of? (laughs) I mean, I think it starts with President Trump himself. I mean, obviously, he's not going to sit here and admit that he lost the election. We know that. But I think, you know, in the future, I don't expect, I could be wrong, I hope I'm not, but I I don't expect that, you know, if President Biden runs for re-election and loses, I don't expect the same scenario because I do think that this was an outlier of a situation. So I think we're already working back towards more faith in this You're just assuming that our next president or future presidents will be of good character. That's a big assumption, yes. Yes. It's what I hope. (laughs) Not necessarily what I think. So. (laughs) Well, I'll remain optimistic for now. Based on our whole discussion today, I think it's very obvious that our voting system and our democracy as a whole has a lot of issues that we need to be working towards. And the American people have a lot of issues, and trust issues especially, (laughs) that we've got to figure out a way to address to be able to move forward as a united nation, right? As we move into the 2024, 2028, and elections beyond. Um, And, yeah. 
I mean, I'm just excited to see. I do think, you know, we have a lot of work to do, but I am excited to see the role that technology plays and how it progresses in the future. Me too.